Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of this day, and thank you, God, that you are, you are the one who makes promises and keeps promises. God, your, your answer is always yes when it's a promise that you've made. God, we are people who make promises, but we're so used to breaking them and having them broken that we don't always know what to do with you. But amen means may it be so. And God, in your world, if you say it, it is so. So we're going to look at Paul again today, and we're going to take a moment and look at the world and what's happening in it, and we realize that none of this is a surprise to you. So much of what's going on in our world breaks your heart, but it's not a surprise. And so God, thank you for being the promise maker and the promise keeper, the one who speaks prophecies and the one who carries them out, and that we are able to be a part of seeing them in our own lives. God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for Jesus and what it is that he did for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So unless you have uh, just completely turned off television and radio and not read any print media, uh, there's probably some tough stuff we need to spend a few moments talking about going on in our world right now. Uh, We need to talk about tough stuff because we don't always agree on it. We're not all uh, at the safe place of understanding. Typically on a Sunday morning, my job is to open God's word and relay it in a way that we can hear and understand and follow it. Uh, My responsibility today is a little bit different, at least as we begin. We're going to get to Galatians, but we need to talk about something else that's happening. Today is October 8th, that day in and of itself, unless it's your birthday or anniversary or some other special day for you. Uh, That's not necessarily the significant date. October 7th, however, will be remembered as a significant date. It is the date that those governments and people and militant groups who are sponsored by terrorist organizations around the world launched an attack on the nation of Israel. There's a Palestinian war machine led by Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Hezbollah coming out of Syria and through Lebanon into northern Israel. Uh, Iran, who is the world's largest sponsor of terrorism, who our government just gave $6 billion to. They just praised this military attack on the nation of Israel on behalf of all of the Arabs who claim Israel as their Palestinian homeland. If you haven't been around, you haven't been listening, you don't know what's happening right now. Uh, I have two friends that I'm in pretty close contact with in Israel. They are both safe. Uh, They have spent the last two days living in bomb shelters underground. They are both currently in Jerusalem, not allowed to be on the streets. Uh, There are civilians who are being shot and captured and taken as prisoners men, women, and children. Why does it matter? In part because Russia and China and Turkey and South Africa and a large number of countries around the world support the legal recognition of Palestine as a nation state. Israel is literally surrounded by nations that all claim Palestine as a legitimate nation, even though the land that they claim as their rightful homeland belongs to the nation of Israel. And so what we have to do and what's hard for us as Americans, we have to separate our feelings of politics and our feelings of right and wrong. We have to separate that all away and understand a little bit of what's really going on. And it is a long and a deep and a complicated history. What's happening is not a a squabble over a little piece of desert. It is a full-scale religious war. It is and will become more so, I would imagine, an international war on Israeli soil. Missiles are being launched and people are dying and jets are being sent up in the air, all for the intention of killing people over land. 
the nations that surround Israel, and Israel is, is smaller than a lot of counties in Minnesota, the nations that immediately surround Israel have on any given day 200,000 missiles pointed at Israel. That's the reality of living in that hostile environment. But make no mistake, this isn't just a, a war for land. This isn't a war that's out for bragging rights. It's a religious war. Uh, the Hamas military commander said uh, two days ago, if you have a gun, get it out. This is the time to use it. Get it out with trucks and cars and axes. Today, the best and most honorable history starts the day that they have gotten themselves ready to launch war on Israel. Why is it important? This is biblical prophecy coming to pass before our eyes. Our news outlets are not going to tell us the whole story. They're going to skew it and change it based on their preferences and where their advertising dollars want them to land politically. They will skew the stories and alter the facts. So what you need to know is that thousands of years ago, God laid these events in place, and we read about it in his word. The world and the people in it have turned from God, and they're being used by Satan to carry out Satan's plan of death and destruction prior to the return of Jesus. This isn't a surprise on God's part, and we need to understand that Satan always wants to kill and steal and destroy. And while it's easy to blame people, the Bible tells us that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, it's against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. The very same power and principality of evil that has taken over so much of America, our media, our politics, our day-to-day -day lives, that very same evil is the evil that is at work in the Middle East right now. As Christians, Israel and the Jewish people are a part of our faith family. Uh, the fancy name for us as Christians is we're a part of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Jewish Christian tradition. Old Testament is Jewish. There is no Jesus there. There is the promise of Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus. The New Testament is the life of Jesus and the world after him, Judeo-Christian. Israel is still filled with God's chosen people. Now, it's not my intention to scare you. It's not my intention to tell you what to believe. But I do believe that we need to have some sort of faith grounding in the truth of God's word as we see it come to pass in our lifetimes. I've taken it upon myself the last few Sundays to say, if you've got your Bible, lift it up. Go ahead. If you don't have it with you, bring it with you next Sunday. This is God's truth. What's happening in the world may be breaking God's heart, but it is not surprising God. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be fearful of it. We should be prayerful and understanding. We should be aware. We should be faithful. We should be active in our prayer and in our spreading the truth of God's, world, God's word against the world's lies. Because so much of what's happening is war over the lies of the world and the enemy of God. As Christians who put our faith and hope and trust in God's only Son, as Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer, we don't fear these events, but we don't bow to the powers of this world that would tell us to be silent and to bow. I realize I'm going to hear about this. I realize I'm going to get emails, and goodness knows what's going to happen. I'm not speaking to condemn anyone. I'm saying as Christians, we need to be people of prayer, and we need to be people of faith. You and I, in, on our own, cannot change the events that are happening in the Middle East. What we can do is what we do every week around here. We pour our resources into having the best worship to bring us as close to God as we possibly can on Sunday morning, to do the best that we can on Wednesday night, to counteract the lies of the world for our young people that they can hear the truth of Jesus for themselves. We can clearly and accurately teach and tell you the things that God has for us that the world is working so hard to steer us away from. The media and an awful lot of people aren't going to agree with what I'm saying to you right now. 
But what they won't tell you is that God's word is unerring, it is always trustworthy, and it is forever unchanging. And so what can we do? We can pray. We can be people of prayer. We can be people who read and understand and draw ourselves closer to God's word, who don't live in fear, but who live in hope of the promise that we have in Jesus. We can, of course, stand with Israel and the people of Israel as God's chosen. And we can pray, but the thing is, we can't just pray for Israel. We pray for the Holy Land. We pray for all of that country that we see about in the Bible all the time. Because that land is occupied by Christians and Jews and Arabs and Muslims and people of all kinds of different faiths. In fact, the Palestinians that are launching the attack, there are Palestinian Christians in the world. And if we pray against Palestine, we're praying against our own brothers and sisters in some cases. So what do we do? We pray for the Holy Land. And we pray for a fulfillment of God's word. I heard years ago that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. It's probably pretty true. I think most of us are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, but boy, there's some things we don't want to have to go through for that to happen. I believe wholeheartedly those things are beginning to pass. We're seeing prophecy laid out before us in the world. Is it a surprise to God? It isn't. Again, it breaks God's heart. What can we do? We can pray. So let's pray. God, thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for your chosen people, the people of Israel. God, everyone who is involved in this conflict, no matter what side they find themselves on, is created by you and is created by you in your image. There is a part of you in every person, no matter what side of a missile they might be on. And God, this battle, this, this war that's being waged, it doesn't need to be waged at the cost of human life. And so, God, while it's hard to pray for peace, knowing that there's not going to be peace in the Middle East, your word tells us that. God, what we do is we pray for the human lives that are at stake. We pray, God, that you would protect and preserve them. We pray for all of the Holy Land, all of the people of all of the different religious traditions that share such a small amount of ground. God, there's some way that there could be some sort of a solution or a resolution that might be met that is not at the cost of innocent human life. God, help us as Americans to listen carefully, to be wise and discerning in what we choose to believe and where we choose to get our information from. Because, God, it's so, it's so easy, God, to take about a position politically on this issue, and that would be our first mistake. We need to take a position based on our faith and our faith in you. So, God, be with the Holy Land, be with the people in the Holy Land, be with our friends who are there, who are just trying to stay out of the way of the bombs and missiles. And God, we pray that this conflict would, through your grace, God, would come to a quick, a quick end where they could meet at a table rather than on the other side of weapons of war. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems odd to pray for the Holy Land uh, when it's Israel that's being contested for, but one of my friends over there made it so clear to me there's going to be no peace in the Middle East if there's not peace for everyone. If there's peace for the Israelis, that means that there's unrest for the Palestinians. If there's peace for the Palestinians, that means there's unrest for the Israelis and a whole lot of other people caught in the middle of it. So we can pray for peace in the Holy Land, understanding there's a lot of people there. Which brings me to Galatians 3. I said when we first started Galatians that this letter that Paul writes could be written to our churches today. Not just ours, but the churches in America. The lessons and the things that are happening 2,000 years later, they're still going on. The same discussions and fights and battles and confusions, and it hasn't changed. And so if you've got your Bible, open it up to Galatians 3. You're going to see exactly what I mean. The first words of Galatians 3, 
chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Paul was alive today. And if he was writing to the church in America, in Paul's first letter to the Americans, he would say, you foolish Americans, who has cast an evil spell on you? Because truly, that would be the right thing to say. It would be the way for him to begin. So many Americans, so many people in our world are living as foolish people. Oh, foolish Americans, who's cast an evil spell? We are being told, we are being convinced, we are being forced to comply, sometimes to go along with outright lies, and we know that they're outright lies. We're being told that we're unkind because we believe in Jesus. Not the new pseudoscience the world is promoting, not all the agendas and the spiritualities and the identities and the pronouns and, and the beliefs that are categorically and completely not just the word, against the word of God, but also against the best interest of the very people who insist that we accept them. Oh, you foolish Americans. Who has cast an evil spell on you? The Galatians, see, they're a lot like we are in America. They were fascinated by spirituality. Magicians had a long history in this part of the world. Uh, most of them had come from the east. They'd come up from Egypt. And they were fascinating to the people because they could do things that other people couldn't do. Just like we're fascinated by some stuff today that we can't completely understand. So they brought with them other religions, other traditions, other small G gods. The church in Galatia was surrounded by other spiritualities. The problem is, is that the people like those of us in America who don't understand why we believe in Jesus and all of what Jesus has done for us, it's so easy to get caught up and carried away by the other spiritualities. You see, they, they liked the idea that things were different, things were flashy, things were fun, things were ooh. And sometimes as Christians, we go, well, it's kind of an old book. It's all in black and white unless you've got the cool one with the red pages. I don't know. What else is there? Nothing, actually. So I think about our world today, and I think, what are some of the examples that we follow? And honest to goodness, I have tried to give up on this person. I have tried to let her go. I can't do it. Let's use Oprah as an example, can we? <laughs> Oprah grew up knowing Jesus. She writes about it. Oprah grew up in a, in a deeply faithful family in the deep south, and she knows who Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. But you know what she's done? She sold herself out to the world. She doesn't have Jesus talk anymore. She doesn't have Holy Spirit talk. She uses God talk in a small g to sell herself. And she's been tremendously successful. And people follow her. You know, there's other things, and this is another one. Oh, you don't have to send email. I read them all the first two times. Yoga. Yoga is an Eastern religious meditative principle and activity. And kind of what a Christian says, I can do yoga, but I don't have to get involved in it. Can you stick your foot in a lake and not get your foot wet? No, you can't. But what we do is we like to tell ourselves, like the people in Galatia did, you know, I can just check it out. I can do a little bit of it. I can make it a part of my life without making it who I am. But there's so many other things in, in religion and in healing. They would call them the healing arts and all kinds of stuff. And we all want them to be real. And, you know, there might be some truth to them. But the thing of it is, all of them take us away from God. You foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. I love that image. They didn't have cameras. They had crude drawings. And he said, it's as clear as if you'd seen a picture. So let me ask you this one question, he says. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you were a good person? His answer is, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? How foolish can you be to believe that while you haven't invested the time and energy and money and effort into understanding everything you can about God's Word, to knowing Jesus as closely as you can, to having the greatest, most deep and personal relationship with God that you possibly can have, that you're dabbling in all of these other things, how foolish can you be? That's what he's saying to the Galatians. That's what he'd be saying to us. He said, you receive it by obeying the law? Of course not. You receive the Holy Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own effort? Why are you trying to do things that don't get you any closer to God, to believe in things, to dabble in things that don't get you closer to God but only make you feel better about yourself? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? And yet there are still churches and still Christians today that say that the only way you will ever earn God's favor is by by doing all the right things, by keeping all of the rules, by being less sinful than the people next to you, less sinful than other people. Paul says that's not the way that it works. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Your efforts don't impress God. They never will. Living for Jesus and doing the things that we do out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, that's what God is looking for. Here's the thing. If you believe that telling somebody else about their sin. That, that making sure that you're less sinful than the people around you, that the idea of knowing more Bible verses or whatever it is your, your religious thing is, you believe that's going to put you in a better place in God's eyes than anything else is. There is a word, and there's a whole lot of things that the New Testament describes as sin. But there's a word for all of that, we're going to do good works to earn God's favor, and it's called pride. And when we live in pride, thinking that we are going to earn God's favor by trying harder or doing more or pointing out someone else's sin, we are filled with pride. And pride is the sin in the New Testament that we have to look out for so carefully. But we kind of ignore it because, well, we're doing the right thing, aren't we? In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, which is what these people are trying to be, is... is, uh, People that God recognizes his own are those who put their faith in God. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis 15. God's given Abraham this promise, and it doesn't make any sense that you're going to have a child. Even in your own age, you and your old wife are going to have a child. In fact, that child is going to have so many offspring that you're not going to be able to count them. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. Blew Abraham's mind. He didn't believe it to the point that he went and tried to do it on his own. He tried to take care of it in his own act, in his own deeds. And it backfired. But the moment God told him about it and Abraham accepted it, said Abraham believed in God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. God counted Abraham righteous, not because of his lack of sin, but because he believed in God and his promises. You are righteous when you believe in God and his promise to you through Jesus. That's what Paul is trying to get across. That's what this big battle is all about with the church people in his day. He says, but 
excuse me. What's more, verse 8, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. That's prophecy about the Messiah. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Your belief makes you an adopted child of God. It isn't about what you do. It's about believing in Jesus. However, in verse 10, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not obey Uh, does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. Cursed. We're not cursed for believing in Jesus. We're not cursed for being sinners. We're not cursed for not doing enough right things. We're cursed when we try to keep the law and justify ourselves that way. We're not made righteous by the law. We're made righteous by Jesus. In fact, the law curses us to to try to keep the law and say, I'm going to get to heaven by keeping the law. In the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, there was ten laws that God gave Moses. By the time it got to the end of the Ten Commandments, the leaders in the Jerusalem church had over 600 laws people had to keep. Nobody could do it. And what Paul is saying is to break one of those laws is to break all of them. To break one law is to break all of the laws. We are not able to keep the law. We are not able to make ourselves righteous before God. It is only through our faith in Jesus, and that's good news for us. He goes on and he says, it is through faith that a person has life. And this way of faith, early Christian church was called the way. The way of faith is the way of faith in Jesus. It's very different from the way of law, which said it is through obeying the law that a person has life. That isn't true. You might feel good about yourself because you think you're better than somebody else in the law, but you don't actually have life in the law. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who, hang, who is hanging on a tree. See, the worst thing that the Romans could have done to Jesus as a religious figure was to put him to death on a cross because the Jewish people believed there was no getting away from that. That is the ultimate curse to be hung on a cross. And yet what Bible makes clear is that Jesus did the very thing the Jewish people were trying to avoid. He became sin. He became cursed in God's eyes because of our sin, not because of anything he'd ever done. Jesus became sin for you and I. Through Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You and I as believers in Jesus have a direct connection to the ancient Hebrew people that we read about in the Bible. The very same God they were working to try to please is the same God who sent us Jesus because we'll never get it right. It is through faith in Jesus that we have eternal life. Verse 16, dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just like no one can uh, set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, you you can't change a contract. So it is this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says his child. And that, of course, means Christ. Who is the child of Abraham? Jesus is. He is in the line. Jesus is in the lineage of Abraham. It's an important distinction because Abraham actually had two children. One was named Isaac and one was named Ishmael. Ishmael he had with his wife's servant. That was was Abraham trying to carry out God's promise on his own, own terms. Ishmael is a child of the flesh. 
Isaac, that Abraham with Sarah is a child of the promise. Both of them are real people in real history. Both of them were actually born. Both of them actually lived. Both of them have descendants because God kept his promise. They both have descendants more num- too numerous to count. This war that we're seeing in the Middle East is being fought because of those two boys. One religious group draws their connection to Abraham through Ishmael. The other draws their connection through Isaac. The ground that's being fought for right now is the ground that Abraham occupied. One is a child of the promise. One is a child of the flesh. When we try to do things on our own and impress God, we are acting in the flesh, and the only thing we're going to do is get it wrong. When we choose to be children of the promise and we believe in Jesus, God will always get it right, even when we get it wrong. Notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, but rather it refers to Christ. This uh, is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham couldn't be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses because when God makes a promise, God keeps it. God would be breaking his promise for the, if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise, given to him as righteousness because he believed. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. When you sin, you know it. And the thing is, when you know you've sinned, your first thought, because none of us do, our first thought isn't, ooh, Jesus wouldn't like that. Our first thought is, I'm not supposed to do that because somehow we know that's on the list of don't do's. The law is there to show people our sin. That's conviction. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. But even today, we love the law because we love to keep score. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, someone to stand between the two to to come to a decision. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, if keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, the other laws of the Bible could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it, and we wouldn't need Jesus. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus. The the, the law does one thing. When we try to keep the law and we try to live by the law, it does one thing. It curses us and it kills and destroys us. Because if what you really want to do is keep the law and keep it perfectly, if you really think you're going to justify yourself before God by doing everything right, you're going to get to a day when you realize you're not doing it at all. And if that's all of your eggs are in that basket, that basket gets dumped out and you're empty. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let's think about the law. We understand it for a moment, shall we? Let's say uh, you have a bad day. You have a really bad day. Everything comes unhinged. Well, I don't know what goes wrong, but something goes wrong, and you go out and do something really stupid. You do something really stupid at your office. You hurt a bunch of people. And the police are called, and they handcuff you and put in the back seat of their car. The law has got you. 
The law has, is about to convict you, but right now the law has got you in protective custody. You're in the back of a police car. Your hands are in handcuffs behind you. You're sitting in that seat, and you know what? The law is doing two things. It's protecting people from you because you've just shown you can't handle being around them. And it's protecting you from yourself so you don't do anything more stupid. The law is there to keep us in protective custody. It's not a bad thing. The law is there to be a guardian until Christ comes. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law is religious and moral. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian because we should be living for Jesus. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you're baptized, we talk about we die to self. And when you come out of the water, you're a new creation. This example about like putting on new clothes, they understood it because in Roman culture, there was a ceremony when a child became a man or a woman at whatever age that happened. They went inside their house and they took off their children's clothes and they came out with the adult clothes, a Roman toga. Kids didn't wear them, but adults did. And when you think about the movies, you know what a Roman toga looks like. It's the big white robe. When you become an adult, you put on adult clothes. You have a different understanding. You don't act like a child anymore. We put on new clothes when we become a believer in Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile This is the heart of Paul's message. We need to hear this one, church. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Do you hear me? There's nobody better than anybody else. If 10 people line up living 10 completely different lives and all 10 of them have put their faith in Jesus, God sees them all the same. There's no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female. Uh, I didn't talk about this at per- first service, but I've heard people complain that it doesn't talk about color. It doesn't talk about the color of people. You, you know, in God's eyes, that's not an issue. That's an issue in humans' eyes. God created people with this incredible palette of colors all over the world. And he sees us all the same. It doesn't even bear mentioning in Scripture. It isn't a racist thing not to say it. It's an unnecessary thing because God sees us all the same. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, which is what they wanted to be. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You are counted as righteous because of Jesus. Here's how it works out. All those stuff in the world, all the spiritualities, all the people, all the books, all of everything, is all about this. It's about self-help. Not happy where I'm at in my life. I need to make some changes. I need to help myself out. That's what we're told. You can do it if you try hard enough. Self-help. For a Christian who's put our faith in Jesus, it's all about God's help. It's help me, Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I can't keep the law. I can't keep the rules. I can't do the basics of what you ask of me. I can't live my life the way that I want to, the way that you want me to without you. The world is all about fix yourself. Here, we'll help you. Buy a book. Watch a video. Go online. Take a course. The world is all about self-help. As a believer, we're all about God's help because we know that the only good that's ever going to happen in our lives is what happens to us through Jesus. And that happens simply by believing. 
So Paul talks about baptism. He talks about new creation. He talks about putting on new clothes, about being a new person, a different life. And what you hear me say is that who you were before you met Jesus does not define who you will be once you meet Jesus. Who you were yesterday does not define who you have to be tomorrow. That's between you and God. And God can create in you any kind of a new creation. And one of the things that we look for around here is fruit. Every Sunday we say, thank you for your gifts and tithes and offerings. We talk about how we want to use that money to reach people for Jesus. This summer, over 50 people decided to step forward, and we get to share in the fruit of God working among us. There's a video here, and if you haven't been to baptisms, this is a little bit of what you've missed. (laughs) Seth Conklin, thanks for shooting all that video and putting that together. Thank you. You know what's awesome about all those people? They all made the decision to put their faith in Jesus, and they walked into the water, but it was Jesus who changed them. It is Jesus who made them a new creation. It is Jesus who gave them a new set of clothing that made them righteous before God. We talk about fruit around here. That's fruit. I get people that ask me all the time, why do you do it? I hear what people say about you. I hear what they talk about. You talk about getting the emails. Why do you do it? That's why I do it. You're why I do it. Here's the thing. Jesus became sin on the cross for us, for me. And our world doesn't want us to know that message because there is a freedom in putting our faith in Jesus that the world cannot offer us. No politician, no policy, no government help, no international non-elected group of people that say they know a better way. Jesus alone is our hope. Why do you come to church here? Why are you visiting us? Why might you come back next week? I hope it's because you realize that we love Jesus, we love people, and we want to teach people to love Jesus. We realize that we are not the hope. I am not the hope that anybody has for their eternity. Jesus is the hope that you have for eternity. Those folks, not saved by good works in that video, they're saved by their faith and their belief in Jesus, just like you and I. I just got a note here. I'm going to wrap up. I just got a note. Uh, Things aren't just happening in Israel right now. Uh, The world in Haiti is actually very upside down as well. There's not any travel that's allowed. Dr. Volsi, uh, Julio Volsi, who is a friend of ours with Haiti Teen Challenge, I just saw that his uh, compound and church were raided this morning. One of his security team was kidnapped. What's happening in Haiti is they're kidnapping people hoping that they're worth money and someone will pay to get them back. One of Dr. Volsi's security team was just kidnapped, so we're going to pray for them. Let's pray. Oh, God, I just can't believe what we've made of this world. Human pride and human arrogance and human stupidity. God, we lift up the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. We lift up the Holy Land and the people of the Holy Land. Paul's words, oh, you foolish Galatians, it could be you foolish Americans, you foolish Palestinians, you foolish Israelis. God, we're all so foolish. Truly, our only hope is you. So we pray for the Holy Land and the people, all of the people of the Holy Land, God. We pray that you will do what only you can do in that region. And then we pray for Haiti and the people of Haiti. They have just been plagued by corruption for years. God, we've had the privilege of getting to know Dr. Volsi, seeing the incredible work that he does through Haiti Teen Challenge, and now, God, they're being affected. One of his security teams, someone who was there to help protect people, has been kidnapped. And God, I don't know how evil expects to win something like that. 
But God, we just ask that your hand of protection, your hand of provision, your hand of safety would be on whoever this man is, on Dr. Volsey, his family, his wife, that the kids, on their church, on the ministry, on the young men and women who are a part of Haiti Teen Challenge, God, that they would continue to be a light that shines for you in the darkness of that nation. And God, it, it just occurs to me that here we are, a long way away from Haiti or Israel, but the darkness surrounds us as well. That age-old enemy of yours would like to destroy and kill us too. God, help us to look to you as our peace. Help us to look to you as our hope. God, and help us to know that you alone are our Savior. And God, we just give you thanks in the middle of confusing and frightening and times we just don't understand, God. We look to you to just be you. We're not going to tell you what to do, God. We're just going to thank you for who you are and that your hand is at work in this world. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we got a little more late-breaking news out of Haiti. Fifteen armed, heavily armed men broke into uh, Ronnie Vero Christ Church service this morning with an attention to kidnap Dr. Volsey. Uh, They figured out who they were. They stopped him. They did kidnap one of his security team. Uh, Police did arrive. They got one of the suspects, but the other ones got away. Please keep the ministry and the mission and the people of Haiti Teen Challenge in your prayers along with the people of the Holy Land. Last thought on the message is this. Everybody knows on the interstate, the speed limit's what? Five over. Five over. Oh, my word. <laughs> we are the almost law-abiding Christians around here. Thank you very much. Speed limit is 70 in most places, right? But what they tell you is you got an extra five miles an hour. I've never heard a police officer say that. Never heard a police officer. But everybody said five miles an hour. So just imagine that you were one of those people that happened to be going a little bit too fast. You see the lights behind you. They pull you over, and you know you did it. You were speeding, but everybody else was speeding. Doesn't matter, you still broke the law. One of two things are going to happen. That officer is going to write you a ticket, and you're going to have to pay $97 or whatever it is. There's really not much getting out of it. But you did it. You're guilty. Am I right? The other option is the officer goes, What's the hurry? Well, and you come up with some excuse, and you smile, and you do the best you can. He says, I'm just going to write you, he or she says, I'm going to write you a warning today. That's it. That's called grace. Right? We're guilty under the law of sin every single time. But it is only by the grace of God shown us through Jesus that we have any hope. That's the grace. When we talk about loving Jesus, loving people, teaching people to love Jesus, it isn't with the law in hand, it's with grace in hand. Because every one of us is here today because we've broken God's law and we are here and saved by grace. Pray for the Holy Land. Pray for the people of the Holy Land. Please pray for Dr. Julio Volsi and everybody at Team Challenge. Have a great week, everybody. Hope to see you next Sunday, Galatians 4. One more before we go. Okay, we have late.